Sam, can you? Hey, good morning, and thanks for those who had a word with me or Lynn uh, when we arrived and asked about our holiday. Uh, we had an excellent time away, uh, more snow than we've seen down here all winter, uh, a clutch which didn't like the hills and had to be replaced, but apart from that, a really good relaxing time. Uh, I was listening uh, to Sam's preach yesterday, and it reminded me that when I was a student, uh, I had a lecturer who thought that if students were going to understand anything, he had to explain things in terms of drinking beer. Uh, I'm not sure students have changed that much uh, content might have. Last week, to help you understand things, you had several explanations from Sam about the welfare of Silky Bob, and so I'm sure you now have a much better understanding of reptiles uh, than you had before. But I thought, for my illustrations today, I would go for something which I know is dear to the heart of almost everybody in this church, and that's food. So, my illustrations will, in some way or another, uh, be linked to food. Now, which is why I've got a bag here with various props in, which I'm going to need at various times. 2016, like all years, is an anniversary year. And there might be various anniversaries you get out of 2016. One of them is that it's 40 years since 1976. And it's a very good one. Because in 1976, Lynn and I got married on the 10th of July. So if you've been puzzling one of the dates on your calendars, which says 10th of July, I can't remember what it says after that now on the calendar. Uh, basically, can you keep, if you haven't already booked it up, keep lunchtime, July the 10th, it is a Sunday, and it happens to be the fourth, uh, Lynn and Mai's 40th wedding anniversary. So we wish to invite all of you to join us for lunch here on that day. Uh, after the service. Last year I booked up with Sam that we could have a celebration service on that uh, day and he volunteered to organise it all and he's looking shocking now as he's clearly <laughs> forgotten all about that. But uh, we'll obviously have some family and friends here as well but we'd love for all of you to get involved. We've asked Carol Jenner if she would organise the food so we'll pay for it all, but if you want to get involved with all uh, preparing stuff, have a word with Carol at some point in the next uh, couple of months, and I'm sure it'll all go well on the time. But there's something else which happened 40 years ago in 1976 as well. A book was published. John Seymour's The Complete Book of Self-Sufficiency. Now, I can see some people recognise that already. Some people are looking totally blank. What on earth is this? If you are a keen follower, as I am, of the BBC News website, their magazine has had a couple of articles on the 40th anniversary of this book. Uh, so if you know nothing about it, you can find out all you need to know and vastly more by reading those two. But in 1976... 
the idea of self-sufficiency was very attractive to a lot of people. This is actually the paperback edition which came out in 78. Obviously, they couldn't afford hard book, hardback books in those days. And this is my well-thumbed copy. Uh, I've never ever tried self-sufficiency, uh, but I have made use of some of the skills here, like it taught me how to gut a fish. Uh, my attempts to follow their instructions to make vinegar have all failed abysmally, so I wouldn't recommend it as being infallible, but this is one of my favourite bits uh, in the book. Pheasants and partridge can legally be shot on your own land. <laughs> If there seem to be no pheasants actually on your own land, there's nothing to stop you attracting them from your next door neighbour's land. <laughs> now, he then goes on to recommend uh, uh, sowing, I think it's Jerusalem artichoke, and that will attract pheasants. Uh, when I was growing Jerusalem artichoke in Bolton, it never attracted any pheasants. But at the moment in our garden, we get quite a few pheasants coming from next door where they... Uh, uh, peck around our neighbours' bird feeders. Uh, so if you wish to try out the, uh, I think it's the Danny Champion of the World technique with rum-soaked raisins, uh, we've got a garden you can come and test it out on if you wish. But one thing which came out, if you read the bits on the BBC, and actually John Seymour actually admits it himself, you can't do self-sufficiency on your own. So you can't really be self-sufficient because you need other people to, with skills uh, to work with. And this really follows on from what Sam was talking about last week. Because last week, Sam was talking about holy living. And holy living doesn't work on your own in the same way that self-sufficiency doesn't work on your own. So what we need to do is have a look at our passage from 1 Peter. So we're starting from 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 22. And my apologies for not priming the uh, uh, laptop people. But I'm reading from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now this is Peter's first application of holiness or holy living. So in verse 22, he says that we need to love one another. And you can't love one another in some kind of abstract way. You've got to do it with real people in the church. But what we find is that in verse 1, 
Remembering Peter here is talking to people in the churches. He's not talking to people outside the churches at this point. He's saying, if we're going to love one another, we've got to put away malice. Now, our use of the word malice leads to the word malicious. And so we tend to think of it as with a sort of particular evil intention. The word here doesn't particularly have those implications, but it's anything which is wicked, anything which is evil. All right? It doesn't have to be with an English concept of malicious forethought. Deceit. Dishonesty. Hiding things. Hypocrisy. Putting on a mask. Play-acting. Uh, pretending to be something different from what you really are. Envy, negatively wanting what other people have got. Slander, using evil words about people. So, shock horror. Peter says you will find these things in the church. Because you can't put something away if it's not there. So, don't be surprised if you find those things happening from people you meet in the church. We're called to love one another when some of the people we're called to love are like that. That's why you can't develop your holy living on your own. We can get so far, but if you're trying to just do it on your own, you're not having to meet the issues you have to meet in the church. But actually, there's a deeper shock than that. Peter is writing to these people in the church, telling them to put these things away. So actually, you're going to find these things in yourself. Last week, Sam says we can have a tendency to try and domesticate God and make him manageable there's also a tendency to want to domesticate ourselves and make ourselves manageable. Particularly, I think, this is true in our comfortable Western lifestyle. We don't particularly expect to meet problems. We don't expect there to be difficulties. If there are problems and difficulties, we have an expectation that somebody else would sort them out for us. So, why does it matter? In verse 4, Peter tells his readers that we have an imperishable undefiled, unfading inheritance in heaven. I think Sam referred back to that last week. And we need to keep looking at each part we look, read and study in the big whole. That is what we have been called to. That, as we were reminded by Steve, was that we have a security in that. Because it's God who's called us. 
we're also reminded in the passage I read in verse 23 that we are born of imperishable seed. We're not grass. We're not built with stuff which is designed to wither and uh, fall. As in one of Jesus' parables gets thrown into the fire. So if we're going to be built of things which are imperishable, we need to make sure, get out all the corruption of sin. And I think the thing we can so easily forget is that we can think of the world around us, the way we react with people, as if they're basically good, that we're basically good, and there are just a few minor tweaks which have to be made. But in terms of the salvation which was talked about, I think, in Steve's talk a couple of weeks ago, the thing we have to be aware is that we are irredeemably bad. There are elements of goodness because God created his world good to begin with. But even the good we have is corrupted by sin. So even what we consider to be good is not perfect. Because only God is perfect. And there's no corruption of sin. We tend to be looking at things comparing one sort of degree of goodness against another degree of badness. God looks by looking at purity and anything which is impure. had an interesting discussion, unfortunately it's not here, so I won't uh, rag him too much about it, but with Paul Johnson the other week about uh, heaven and what is imperishable and what is perishable. You can have the discussion with Paul yourself if you want to get the detail, but he is convinced that bacon sandwiches are imperishable. And that in heaven, you will experience a bacon sandwich, or from where we were on holiday, it would have to be a bacon cob. I was trying to point out to him that actually uh, that might not be the case. Uh, he's yet to find me the bit in Revelation where uh, one of the imagery is clearly an image of a bacon sandwich. Now, he developed this out of a reaction from a vegetarian who told him there wouldn't be any bacon sandwiches in heaven. Now, to be honest, I'm not bothered whether there are bacon sandwiches in heaven or not. Because what I do know is if there aren't any bacon sandwiches in heaven, the alternative would be better. All right? It certainly wouldn't be worse because in heaven it's going to be perfect and we and we are being created we have been born again for as we've been reminded that imperishable get the words right undefiled unfading inheritance right there is a perfect inheritance for us in the new heaven and the new earth we know we will have bodies which are both physical and spiritual 
we know that we'll be able to eat. So the question of bacon sandwiches is a relevant one. Uh, it's not totally irrelevant. Though I think the only evidence we have from what Jesus ate is grilled fish. So uh, obviously there'd be grilled fish available, I think, or maybe not. But that's not particularly the point. The point is, it is a perfect inheritance we have. And therefore, what Paul is saying here, because we've got that perfect inheritance, we need to put away these things which are not perfect. So the word used for put away is one you can use, say, for casting off clothes. All right? You know, as if you do lots of energetic exercise, your clothes will get dirty. You can cast them off. They're not the, in that sense, they're not the real you. So being born again, these things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, are not the real us which should be there. So because they're not the real us which should be there, they can be cast away. But casting away requires action. It's not something which just slips off. You know, was, a, was it a 1950s or 1960s film about somebody who invented a suit which, could, which never got dirty, the dirty just, dirt just slipped off it? Alright? That's not what happens. There's an action to get rid of things. But, again, the action is not something we have got to just generate independently for ourselves. It's part of what was being said in verse 2 about the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. So we are secure in our salvation, but now with the aid and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we are sanctifying our lives. We're making ourselves, as Sam was saying, in terms of holy living, more like Jesus. But to apply it, we need to be able to do this with other people. Because one of the corruptions of sin is self-delusion. If we're on our own, we can delude ourselves that we're actually doing quite well. It's when we're with other people that the truth comes out. And we can hide the truth at times, but if you're hiding the truth, you're falling down on hypocrisy to begin with anyway. So that's not getting you very far on this list. So, what do we need to do? In John's first letter, 1 John and chapter 1, verse 10, it says the following. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Notice, if we're being in the light, it's having fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. Again, this is, John here is talking to people who are already Christians. So when we become aware of our sin, we confess and we are forgiven. Because the primary confession and forgiveness has already happened. No, as Sam was saying, holiness does not make you right with God. Holiness is the outworking of what God's already done in you. And as Peter now applies it here, if you want to know how that holiness is getting on, be with other Christians and see what happens. Another anniversary uh, this year, I suddenly realised I was preparing. Uh, this month, no, last month, is the 25th anniversary of when I started coming to this church with Lynn as one of the children. Now, some of you were here at that time. Most of you weren't. Now, depending on how long you've been here, I'm pretty sure you've annoyed me at some point in my life. And I'm even more certain that I've probably annoyed you several times in my life. But you're still here, and I'm still here. Now, I can only think of one reason for that, and it's that we have a God who's a lot bigger than we are. Because if us staying together as a church was because we're some sort of club and we're doing it uh, to sort of... No, I just can't see it working. All right? Because we, without realising it, say the wrong word to somebody. Let alone when we do it with a bit of malice or a bit of envy. And I tend to think that I don't have that much envy. I'm quite happy with what God's given me. Until something comes along which I actually do mind about. As I say, we can think we self-delude ourselves and think that we're doing well if we're just on our own. It's when people do things in a way which annoy us, in a way which we can see could be done far better if they only did it, listened to me and did it my way. I see a few people smiling there, Steve, for example. All right, but you know, it's, that's the way it is. But we have been called to be a demonstration of Christ's body here on earth. And we demonstrate that when we forgive one another. We demonstrate that when we confess our sins. Now, when we confess our sins, there's a place to do it privately. There's a place to consider our lives and say, you know, is there any of these things in my life which I need to confess and cast off and get rid of? There are times to do it in either a small group or one-to-one -one with someone. Because, again, as I said, we can be self-deluded. Sometimes we need somebody to point things out to us. And it's not pleasant at the time, but it's something that we then need to deal with. Sometimes I think there's a, big, there's a case to come to the elders, or one of the elders, and ask for them their advice on things. If you find there is one of these which you find difficult to cast off, 
and you've tried and don't succeed. You've got advice from your Christian brothers and sisters and they've prayed for you and you've tried and you don't succeed. I think it's pretty good evidence that it's time at that point you need to get the elders in. Because the elders are shepherds. They're here to help. You know, shepherds deal with sick sheep. As I probably mentioned, I follow on Twitter this Herdwick Shepherd. He's just been going through lambing for the last month. And he's out all sorts of times dealing with sick sheep. Getting sheep in who are sick to help them recover. So that they're fit to go back out again. You know, that's one of the roles elders have. So you have elders. We're not going to come chasing after you to say, ooh, we've noticed there's a bit of this in your life. But if you know there's a problem and it's an ongoing problem, get help. And I think the other thing to remember is however we get on in the Christian life, we've never got this totally sorted. I went into Tesco's yesterday and bought a tub of this stuff, Philadelphia. Now this isn't a trap. How many people actually really like, I won't say love, Philadelphia? Right, a good number of people here. Good. I'm glad you do. I normally go for the cheap version, but it doesn't work if you've got Tesco value on it. Now actually, Philadelphia, not the soft cheese, the word comes in our passage. All right. Now, you probably didn't see the word Philadelphia, because you, unless, you, unless you're reading in Greek, you're not going to see the word Philadelphia there. But he tells us in the start, now having purified your souls, so our souls have been purified to, by obedience to truth for a sincere brotherly love. Right, so Peter tells them that we should love one another with a sincere brotherly love. Right, brotherly love is Philadelphia. So whenever, all of you who like Philadelphia, whenever you get a packet, or if you're like me, looking at the shelf and there's 40 different varieties, and you're trying to think which one am I, do I get for my demonstration, whenever you see Philadelphia, it's a reminder. We're to love one another with brotherly love. Right? So you've got a food message for you. But actually... That's the starting point, not the finishing point. Because anyone who has become a Christian and has been born again, you expect to see a change in their life because of what Jesus has done. And so with everyone, you would expect in the church to see them with brotherly love. But he then goes on to say, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So actually, brotherly love is the starting point. The bit which gets translated love earnestly comes from more the root of agape love as opposed to philo love. Okay, so he's actually calling us to go from, if you like, an everyday brotherly love to go to a deeper love one for another going beyond what should be the norm. So again, in the church, we should expect to see people who love one another to different levels. Paul talks about it somewhere, I think. But 
But what we should be looking for is, the question is not, what is the minimum I can get away with and stay in the church? The question is, how far have I allowed the Holy Spirit to sanctify me in the way I love one another? If somebody is growing in the Christian faith, we should be seeing that primarily in the way they love the other people in the church more than in their theological knowledge. Theological knowledge is good. But without love, as Paul says, it's a clashing, gong, banging cymbals. And we don't want just noise. We want to see God's church grow. We want to see holiness growing in our lives. And part of that comes in verse 2 of chapter 2, where he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation. So the salvation which we have, which is we are secure in, is something we grow up into. So that inheritance is secure, but we're to grow up into it. I think at the moment, I don't think uh, any of us would claim that uh, all of our actions no, exactly reflect being undefiled. But that's what we're to grow into. So whatever level we're at, there is more to grow in in this we never get to the stage of uh, thinking that we finally got there. And again, just to, now in terms of this, we need to be careful because in other passages, milk is often used as a contrast uh, to sort of like proper meat for mature Christians. That's not the concept here. The concept here is much more that a baby needs a regular feeding with milk. So we need regular feeding as well. Wayne Grudem, in his commentary, ties this into the Word of God, the Scriptures. I think I wouldn't restrict it just to that, but certainly that is a major part of it. So if we want to know how to live pure, holy lives we need to let the scriptures impact our lives. We have the Holy Spirit as our sanctifier working in us. And so we can therefore look to this inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. To finish, I want to quote from a tweet which Andrew Wilson put out on the 21st of April. I'm not quite sure what he did it in reaction to, because it sounds like it's in reaction to something. But it's this. In inverted commas, online church should sound as puzzling to us as sexless marriage. Bodies matter. Jesus has put us into a body, the church. This is where he's called us in the first application to be holy. So therefore, we need to take his church seriously and despite all the difficulties we have, we need to stick with being in the church and let the Holy Spirit sanctify us day by day. Right, could the band come back up? And I'll hand back to them.